The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus, and he went out, bearing his own cross, to the place called the Place of a Skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross, and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write, the King of the Jews, but rather, this man said, I am King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold, your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold, your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Let's pray. God, thank you for sending Jesus to take on the weight of our sins. Because of your sacrifice, Jesus, we can experience your heavenly peace on earth. And God, you are worthy to be praised. You are worthy of our worship. You are worthy to be worshipped, Lord. And we give you our undivided attention. Um, would you just speak to us through Randall's message this morning uh, so we may encounter you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Jindarm. All right. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Randall, and I'm glad that you're here this morning. We are uh, in, uh, it's Palm Sunday today, and so on the church calendar, uh, this is uh, really a, a remembrance of the last week of Jesus' life, and so uh, we're going to look at that a little bit today, but before we do that, I, I want to say last week, I... Um, I'm so thankful for John Roper coming and sharing from Isaiah 53. If you haven't heard that message yet, he did a fantastic job. Um, and so go back and listen to that online. Um, but one of the things that I got to do last week was um, I got to go back into the kids' ministry, and I got to teach them uh, the K through 5 uh, last week, and, and it was so much fun. You know, you know where I got started um, in teaching the Word of God? Uh, it was with the kids. I was in college and I was serving at a church uh, just doing the kids ministry uh, just as a volunteer and that's where me and my wife served together and so it was so much fun uh, being back there but I do want to say that that's an opportunity um, and so I want to I want to say for for us men um, that is an opportunity for you to go back there and jump in and you think well I'm not a teacher or I'm not this type of person but I'm telling you man they have so much grace with you 
They really do. They really do. They had so much grace with me last week, and we had a lot of laughs and a lot of good times together. But um, I am so thankful for the kids' ministry and for what Carly is doing, leading that. And so can we just give it up for the kids' ministry, the volunteers, you see them with the blue shirts. Thank you for what you do, um, because that makes a difference. And one of the things I told some of the kids in there, I said, you know what? You are learning the Bible and know more about the Bible than I did when I was your age. I didn't grow up in church. And so for them, that was just an exciting thing to be able to look at them and just say, man, you are like, you're ahead of where I was. And so I just want to keep pouring into them. And I'm just thankful for those who are pouring into them each week. Now, Palm Sunday. So uh, we are studying the last week of Jesus's life. And, and Jesus is entering into the city here in, uh, in, uh, on Palm Sunday. But you see that the text is, is John 19. This is the crucifixion of Jesus. And so what we see here is, is that on Palm Sunday, here's what it says about Jesus as he enters into Jerusalem, because it's, it's really the antithesis from what we see in John 19. In John 12, it says, the large crowd had come to the feast, heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and, and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. Just as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. If we're thinking about Jesus entering into Jerusalem, if we're thinking about what was the picture that was painted as Jesus comes, we're seeing that there's a celebration, that there is a king that's coming into town. And so there are people who are hearing about it, they're getting excited about it, and they're coming and they're saying, yay, Jesus is here. But interestingly, it says in verse 16 that his disciples did not understand what was happening. So they didn't understand what was happening because like many, as they see Jesus coming into town, they have an idea of what they think Jesus is coming to do. In many ways, they think that Jesus is coming to solve the temporary problem that they had of the Romans that were there occupying Jerusalem and that Jesus was coming to take care and really clean house from what they had been experiencing for so long. But Jesus had different plans. See, there was something here that was happening with Jesus that his disciples didn't understand in the moment. And that Jesus wasn't coming into town to be celebrated by them. But really to be set up by them. See, that week he would be questioned, he would be poked, prodded, and eventually crucified And what we're looking at here in John 19 today. And so in John 19, 16 through 27, what, what, what is it that happened this week as Jesus enters the city? What does this mean for us? Because at one point he's being celebrated, at the next minute he's being crucified. Well, we need to understand his rejection. Understanding his rejection. 
See, what his disciples didn't understand at the time was what was happening to Jesus and why it was so important for their lives. They needed understanding. And so today, as we look at this text, my hope and my prayer, and really I've been praying about this as I've been studying this week and, and praying about this message, it's like, Lord, help us to understand. Not just to see it on the surface, right? But to understand why this is so important. So a question for you this morning is, how, how do you respond when you're looked down on, looked over, belittled, snubbed, or rejected? You know, there are many anti-bullying campaigns. My, my kids tell me about it all the time at their school. Uh, they're, they're, they're told all the time, you need to accept all of those around you. But still, there is a problem in our world when it comes to people experiencing rejection. I know for me as a 39-year-old, I still have that thing inside of me that when I f feel like a, a little tinge of like rejection or somebody overlooking me or, or, or looking down on me, I start to become really quiet. Inside, I start to get guarded. See, for all of us, we, we face rejection and we respond to it in different ways why is it so hard there was a, an american psychology association that uh, they put out an article by Kristen weir entitled the pain of social rejection as far as the brain is concerned a broken heart may not be so different from a broken arm and she writes this. She says, as researchers have dug deeper into the roots of rejection, they found surprising evidence that the pain of being excluded is not so different from the pain of physical injury. Rejection also has serious implications for an individual's psychological state and for society in general. Social rejection can influence emotion, cognition, and even physical health ostracized people sometimes become aggressive and can turn to violence. Humans have an, uh, a fundamental need to belong. Just as we have needs for food and water, we have, uh, also have needs for positive and lasting relationships, says C. Nathan DeWall, who's a PhD and a psychologist at the University of Kentucky. He says, social rejection increases anger, anxiety, depression, jealousy, and sadness, Physically, too, rejection takes a toll. People who routinely feel excluded, have poor sleep uh, quality in their immune systems, don't function as well as those of people with strong social connections. There is an emotional, physical toll when we think about rejection. Studies have been done. And as we see Jesus in the life of Jesus, and we've been looking at it and studying the life of Jesus over this past month, um, we've been looking at Isaiah, and in Isaiah, there, there were prophecies about Jesus 700 years before he walked the earth. And these prophecies were about how he would be a suffering servant. And these passages give us a clearer picture of Jesus and, and his sacrifice for us. But today, as we think about Jesus and all that he's done for us, it really, in many ways, is like this multifaceted diamond. And if you were to look at the diamond, there's different angles that we could look at at all parts of it. And even in this text. 
But today we're going to focus on understanding the sacrifice that he's making as he's, he's being rejected. As he's being rejected. See, in Isaiah 53, 3, it says that he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. John 1.11 says, He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. See, the people that you would think would be the ones who would receive him actually didn't receive him. There was rejection. In the deepest levels of rejection that you can think of. Because you would think the people that are my own, like that, those are the people that would receive me. But that's not what happened with Jesus. See, throughout his life, the Son of God experienced every type of rejection. He was rejected by his own family members who didn't believe. He was rejected by religious leaders of his day. He was rejected by Judas, one of his 12 disciples. He was rejected by his own disciples while he was on trial. He was rejected by the crowd as they shouted, crucify him, which some of them were the same ones, the people that were there who welcomed him into the city in Jerusalem, shouting, Hosanna. He was rejected by the Roman authorities for claiming to be the king of the Jews. He was rejected by the soldiers who whipped him mercilessly and wove a crown of thorns to mock his kingship. They spit on him and beat him. And he faced the ultimate rejection on the cross when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus experienced every rejection imaginable. And so why did he do that? You know, one thing to think about today is this. For some of us, we've, we've experienced rejection. We've experienced pain, maybe from family members or friends or people who betrayed us in the past. But I just want you to know that today when we look at Jesus, he's, he's, he's a, a God who comes and is able to relate and have compassion. It, it, like we said in Isaiah, he, he deals gently with the bruised reed. If you feel bruised, if you feel beaten up today, if you feel like, man, I don't fit in, there's Jesus who, who came, and that's the life that he chose. He chose to come this way. See, in many ways, when you look at Jesus entering the city, he's, it's almost a laughingstock because he's coming in on this donkey when really they would have preferred that he came in on a horse ready for war. But instead, Jesus was coming in on this donkey saying, I'm fighting a different war and a different battle that you don't understand that's actually bigger than what you can see. See, the rejection that he's experiencing, there's a purpose behind it. See, why does this Jesus, his rejection matter? Well, one of the greatest mysteries in the Hebrew Scriptures was Psalm 22. It's a psalm written by David, and, and in this psalm, it talks about uh, someone that was being rejected by God. You know, and many think, well, okay, what, who is David writing about here? They couldn't put the puzzle together, right? You get the pieces, but like, what is this really about here? Because what we see is that this person that David is writing about is rejected by God. In verse 1, mocked in verse 7, surrounded by enemies, verse 12 through 13, thirsty, verse 15, but listen to this, pierced, has pierced hands and feet, verse 16, 
They were taking his clothes and gambling over them. Verse 18. See, this thousand-year-old writing of David, for us as, as Christians and people who have the New Testament today can look back and say, well, this seems to be the missing piece. See, as Jesus is on the cross, he quotes verses from Psalm 22. And he's saying, if you want to understand my death, if you want to understand my rejection, if you want to understand everything I'm going to, look at Psalm 22. Because it's there that you'll find the meaning of his rejection. See, all of the pieces to the puzzle are starting to come together as we look at what Jesus has done. Because it's in this. This is the gospel message. This is the good news today. It's this, that in his rejection, we find our acceptance. In his rejection, we find our acceptance. See, the thing that you and I are fighting for on a daily basis when we feel snubbed, when we feel overlooked, when we feel like, man, does anybody care about me? Does anybody care what's going on in my life? What Jesus is saying is, in my rejection, if you look to me and what I went through, you're gonna find an acceptance that you've been looking for your whole life. And so we're gonna walk through this text today and really see how uh, this all comes together in our lives. But um, the question is, how does Jesus' rejection impact our lives today? And today we're gonna break down what this means in three parts. The first one is what he did. The second is what he didn't do. And the third is why he did it. What he did what he didn't do, why he did it. And so the first one is what he did. Look at verses 16 through 18. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Verse 18. There they crucified him and with him two others one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. Before we get to what's happening here to Jesus, we need to understand the context of what's happening. Pilate, who's a Roman official, he's in charge, looks at the Jewish people, and he asks them a question, and he says this. He says, shall, shall I crucify your king, right? What, what, what happens is they, they do this appeal for mercy where they bring out a man who is a known criminal, Barabbas, and they bring out Jesus. And they bring both of them out, and, and Jesus, at this point, has been beaten. The crown has been placed on his head of thorns, and he's standing before them, and Barabbas is not standing in the same condition, but just as a prisoner. And there was appeal for mercy. They say, hasn't Jesus suffered enough? Hasn't he gone through enough? Hasn't he been rejected enough? Like, hasn't he gone through enough for you to have mercy? Pilate's question, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. 
So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So what happens next for Jesus? Well, it says that he was carrying his own cross. There's an appeal for mercy, but there's also Jesus who's carrying his cross. And where does he carry his cross? Well, it's, it's not told here, but basically Jesus is, is paraded throughout the whole city of Jerusalem. Every part of Jerusalem, he's being paraded through so that people could see him. He was a, a spectacle to be seen. Just as Jesus was being uh, brought into the city uh, uh, and celebrated a week before, now he's leaving the city, basically saying, get out of the city. We don't want you in our city anymore. Being paraded before the people as he's carrying his cross. And the reason that they did this for people who were being crucified was for this to be an example of what not to do. Don't, Don't live like him because this is what is gonna happen to you. And it was public humiliation that he's experiencing. And so it says that uh, in verse 17 into verse 18, as he makes his way to the place of the skull, they crucified him. Now he is being treated as the worst type of criminal. The pain that he experienced far outweighs the pain of anyone before him or after him. And with him, it says that there were two others, one on each side, Jesus in the middle. He's being looked upon as the greatest criminal of all, right? He's the centerpiece of what's wrong. And so Jesus, the shame, the guilt, all of the punishment is being heaped upon Jesus because in the eyes of the people, he's the worst, Now, what is this? This is a gruesome scene. Many times we don't want to think about this because it is so gruesome. You know, this is, you and I, we don't don't watch the Passion of Christ every day, right? This isn't something that we like put on like, yeah, I'm just hanging out today. I'm just going to put this on. Like my wife, she's like, I can't handle watching that movie. I, I just can't like emotionally handle it. I remember I... In college, I I helped with a program where we would uh, go and we would, uh, there were international students that would come and and we would uh, do like English, uh, just speak English, you know, and just get to know each other. And it was was amazing time. I built some great friendships um, with, and really relationships with some of the people that were a part of this. And I remember one friend, um, it was during the time when the movie, The Passion of the Christ was coming out. And I remember he was telling me, he's like, I see these images and it makes no sense to me. I don't understand it. It just seems like blood and guts and I don't understand what this, what this means. Friends, there's a reason why we don't want to look at this. There's a reason why we don't want to think about what he did. Because it is gruesome. But what's happening? It's not just physical. It's not just emotional. It's just not, it's not just mental. The rejection that he's experiencing, but it's also spiritual. See, there was something that that people saw on the outside that they didn't realize was happening on the inside that we only know that was happening because of Psalm 22. 
Psalm 22 helps us to understand. Those passages in Isaiah help us to understand that what was happening on the outside wasn't just this gruesome scene of, of the the Roman guards being so cruel and being so vicious to Jesus, but know that there was something more spiritual that was happening. It's 2 Corinthians 5.21 where it says he made him to be sin who knew no sin. See, Jesus is being stripped of his dignity, marred beyond recognition, remember, Isaiah 53 says that he was, he was beaten so badly that they couldn't even recognize that he was human. In every way, he was being stripped of his dignity. You know, dignity is a, is a word today that's used a lot. When we think about our lives, every, every human being has worth, has dignity, but, but we don't really know why. The intrinsic value of, of why does every human life have dignity? It's because God created every human life. And every human life is stamped with his image. And that every person that you lock eyes with is not just another person walking around on the street somewhere, but is somebody that God created and made and, and loves and cares about. And so let's get back to this. Why is it so much that, that Jesus is being marred beyond recognition that we, they couldn't even tell he was a human being? It's because this is the worst of the human condition. This is what sin does. We might not see it on the outside, but on the inside it destroys your dignity as a human being. And Jesus is being stripped of dignity in every way because that's what sin does. It ravages the body. It ravages the person from the inside out. It destroys them. See, why is it that when you and I sin, we feel less human? We walk around with a shame and a guilt that we just can't understand and we can't just explain away. Why is that? It's because there's a dignity that God has stamped on you to live differently and to live to the fullness of life. See, one of the things it says in John 10, says the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Christ has come, Jesus has come to give life and give it to the fullest. Why, did, when Jesus comes into your life, what does he look at you and say? I am restoring you. I'm restoring the, the dignity that you have as a human being. But what happened to him on the cross? What did he do? He was stripped of his dignity in every way. The son of God. He experienced what we weren't made for. Did God create us to experience that? No. He experienced, he, he created you for good. But Jesus experienced everything that was bad on the cross. Second point, what, it, what, uh, what he didn't do Verses 19 through 22. Pilate had a notice prepared and, and fastened uh, to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. You see that? Everybody can read this here. Chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, 
I've written. There are arguments going on all around Jesus about who he is. Who is this guy? Who, who, who is he? Is he the king? Or is he a fraud? See, all week, the, the religious leaders were probing and testing him and asking him questions, trying to trip him up. All of the, the people were coming and, and, and pressing into Jesus and saying, is he really who he says he is? Groups of people, all these people have a take on who they think he is. But do you realize whose voice is missing here in all of this commotion? The very one they are talking about. The very one they are talking about. Do you know his response? Isaiah 53, verses 7 through 9 tells us, it says he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was oppressed, afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? Basically, he was saying, who of his generation stood up for him? No one. They stood by, but they didn't stand up. For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of for the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Friends, what's happening here? Jesus is taking on the punishment that we deserved. Why was he doing all of this? Right, the, the, the question is, is why? He says, for the transgression of my people, he was punished. I'm watching this show right now with my wife. It's called Tokyo Vice. It's uh, about this uh, news reporter who just wants to get to the bottom of what, what's going on um, in the city. He wants to write about crimes that are happening. So one of the things that he, he says as he's trying to report is, I just want to get down to beneath the surface of what's going on. I want to write about what's going on beneath the surface. I want to know what's happening beneath the surface of, of the city, this community. I want to know what's happening. And Jesus is bringing to the forefront everything that's happening. He's not saying a thing. But it's all shown in his face, in his hands, in his feet, in his body. Do you want to know what's wrong with the world? Jesus is saying, he's saying, look at me. Look at what it's done. Look at, look at the pain. Look at the suffering. Look at the oppression. Look at the rejection. Look at it all. Look at it. It's wrong. And in his silence, as he's taking on the pain, his love is on display. Remember, we talked a few weeks back about the cost, understanding the cost of why it costs God so much to love us. See, love is not just a word that he's saying, but an action that he's, he's actively living out, he's actively showing. Philip Brooks once said, love was compressed for all of history in that lonely figure on the cross 
who said that he could call down angels at any moment. This was in Matthew 26, 53. Jesus said, I could do that at any moment. But he's on a, he could call him on a rescue mission, but chose not to because of us. At Calvary, God accepted his own unbreakable terms for, of justice. Of justice. What we see at the cross is that there is judgment that's happening, but not on you and me, but on the Son of God. But on the Son of God. Why he did it. Last point. Verse 23 through 27. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing by, nearby, he said to her, Woman, here's your son. And to the disciple, here's your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. At this point, Jesus is near the end. You know, one of the things that we think about when we think about people at the end of their lives is what, what were their last words? What were the things that they were thinking about or talking about? Why do we do that? Because many times what we find is that there's the raw, unfiltered emotions, motivations, really everything, just the guard starts to come down. And as Jesus is in pain, who is he thinking of? You know, when I go through pain, I am like, when I, when I get a headache, oh my goodness. It's like the world's ending. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're thinking, okay, what is it that you think about when you're in pain? For me, sadly, I'm still at a place where I think about me. <laughs> what am I going through? What am I experiencing? Who was Jesus thinking of in his greatest moments of pain on this earth? Not himself. Others. And friends, this gives us a picture of why he did it. He's looking down and talking with the people who are closest to him. But then he says, later in verse 28, he says this. He says, I thirst. I thirst. What does this mean? Well, is Jesus thirsty? Because at this point, he hasn't complained about any of the pain that he's gone through. It says that he was silent. Is Jesus just complaining because he's thirsty? He needs something to drink. We're going to look at this more on Friday, but the answer is no. Jesus here isn't complaining because he's thirsty on the cross and just needs a drink of water. No. See, in the Old Testament, there are passages that talk about thirst. And this thirst is not physical, but spiritual. And ultimately, it's the thirst for acceptance. It's the thirst that we have 
deep down that we can't fill. See, it's the void that's deep within our hearts. It's the need to be deeply loved from the inside out. Jesus here isn't complaining. He's explaining. He's explaining what he's going through. That he is suffering the infinite infinite wrath, judgment, hell that we all deserve. Why? Love. See, one of the things that the, the scriptures talk about is like we, we think of like hell as just this, this place where fire and all this stuff, but, but what, it, what it is is this unquenchable thirst. It's the thing in us that, 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 that says, man, it, it just, it's never ending. I, I never feel fulfilled. And ultimately, it's, it's eternal separation from God. See, the hunger that you and I have is, is not just an acceptance from other people, but the acceptance from the God of the universe. And in Jesus, he says, I'll experience this so that you'll never have to. Friends, the reality of hell is real. And Jesus is saying, why did I come? so that you'd never have to experience it? Why did I sacrifice so that you would never have to experience it? It's the love of God. Jerry Bridges says, if we want proof of God's love for us, then we must look first at the cross where God offered up his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Calvary is the one objective, absolute, irrefutable proof of God's love for us. Friends, you feel like you're empty inside. You feel like, man, I go through days where I'm like, does God really love me? Would you replace that question with this? Do I understand what he was willing to go through for me? Do I remember today what he was willing to go through for me? Do I see him up on that cross and, what, and really what it meant and what he was going through for me? And do I believe it? Do I believe it? Some takeaways. How can we live in God's acceptance each day? This isn't going to be all the answers, but these are some things to think about for this week. The first one is this. It's by seeing the danger of finding your identity in others' approval. The danger of finding your identity in others' approval. Friends, do you know that that's an endless game that you'll keep playing again and again and again and again and again? And for some of us, it's the, day, the, the daily thing that we just go through again and again and again. One of my good friends, he's a mentor to me. His name's Larry. He says um, one of the things that he's struggled with his whole life is acceptance because he said he grew up in a, in a home where he could never get his dad's approval. Just could never get it. And one of the things he said was that when he, uh, he said his dad never blessed him, never said, I love you, you know, never did any of those things. And he said, it's hard for me. He says, because when I wake up in the morning, it's easy for me to go back to that little kid who never got blessed by his dad. But he said, you know what, the thing that, as I've met Jesus, the thing that I remember now and I remind myself of each day is he says, when I wake up in the morning, 
The thing I tell myself is, I'm accepted today because of what Jesus has done for me. I'm accepted today. I don't have to live for other people's approval and, and, and you know, like, uh, do, they, do they like me? Do they not today? All these things, like, it doesn't mess with my identity. See, and Jesus was our example in this. In John 2, 23 through 25, he says this. Now, it says this. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the pa- Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Here's the thing. He didn't put his full approval in what people were thinking about him in that moment. Because he knew that in that moment, people were accepting him, but at some point, they were going to be the ones that were chanting crucify him. And so when we think about our identity, will you first find your identity, your approval, and what God says about you and and that I'm accepted today because of what Jesus has done for me? I think it could radically change your life. The second is the healing that comes when you entrust yourself to God. Here's what I want to say. It's a process. It's a process. For all of us, we have these moments where some days we have good days, some days we don't have uh, good days. And, and, and so it's this process of, of coming back again and again and saying, will I entrust myself to God again? Will I believe what he says for me? Will I believe that it's true? You know, here's the difference. Like one of the things that I, I, I keep telling my son when he's in the back He's like back there, right? I can't see him all the time. I, but, but I'm like, he's back there. I tell all my kids, I say, put on your, your seatbelt. Put on your seatbelt. It's really important that you put on your seatbelt. And we're driving along, and all of a sudden, I'm like looking in the room. Dude, you don't have your seatbelt on. Get your seatbelt on. Dad, I already know that. Why didn't you do it? <laughs> you know, like, what, what, what's the disconnect here? Because some of us, we... You know, you believe that it's important to put on your seat, but you just don't. The same thing is true about this. Some of us, for us, the healing comes when we entrust ourselves to God. Will you put on what, what, what God says today and will you entrust yourself to him to say, you know, he says this and so I'm gonna, I'm gonna buckle in today. I'm gonna buckle in today. I'm gonna trust him. Or are you saying, oh, I already know that one. Yeah, yeah, that was a good one, right? I'm just going to keep going on with my day, looking out the window, having a great time, right? Because that's what he's doing. Like, dude, put on the seatbelt. I love this quote from Crawford Loritz. He says, dignity is the enormous weight and value that every person is born with because we are created in the image of God. Dignity is God's signature written on the soul of every human being. My point is simple and hopefully clear. We have no right to minimize or marginalize the value of any human being. Friends, as you buckle in and you realize that you have the dignity that God has placed on you as he stamped that into your life and you live in that today, but then you also look outside of yourself to other people and you start to see the dignity that they have as well. That's life-changing. The last one is the reminder that you need every day See, here's the thing. In Christ, you're not just tolerated or just accepted. Ultimately, you're adopted. You're adopted. See, what do we see here is Jesus is looking at his mother and he's saying, okay, John, 
You're my disciple. Take my mother in. Care for her. What's he talking about here? It's a family. It's a family. And what did Jesus buy you and I into? A family. See, we are adopted into God's family, and this is the reminder that we need every day, that when you look at yourself in the mirror, that you remind yourself, I am a child of God. As I accepted Jesus, as I believed on him, right? We believe on him. As we look at him, all of sin was placed on him. All that was in me was placed on him. As I place my faith in that, as I buckle into that, as I trust that, and I realize that no longer is my identity a sinner anymore, but I am a saint saved by God, living into a new identity. His child, it changes me. Jai Packer once said, he says, adoption is the highest privilege of the gospel. The traitor is forgiven, brought in for supper, and given the family name. To be right with God the judge is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God the Father is greater. Friends, you know, you have that today in Christ. Remember the gospel. It was in his rejection that we are led to our acceptance. An acceptance that we can live in every day. John 1, 11 through 12, and I'm gonna finish with this. He says, this is John, Jesus' best friend, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved, the one who he looked at to and said, take care of my mother. The, that John wrote this. He says, I came to that which was, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He gave the right to become children of God. So will you believe on his name today? Will you believe in what he's done? Will you believe that it's, it's not you beating yourself up to get better, but looking on Jesus and saying he was beaten up for me? No longer do I beat myself up, but I see that the son of God was beaten up for me and I receive everything you've done, Lord. And I can't add to your work, but I receive your work you do that today? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the great sacrifice that you made. And it's understanding your rejection, Lord, that we find our peace, our hope, our life, that we don't have to live in the shame anymore, that we don't have to live in the guilt, but we can live in an acceptance that frees us to say, my identity is in, in him and him alone. May we believe that. May, may we trust in that. We, may we put our full weight into that. And may it change our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.